0: Turn to, uh, we're in, a, in our series in the book of John, so turn to Luke 9. <laughs> yeah, doesn't make a lot of sense, but maybe it'll make sense by the time we get to the text. You know, we started a new series in the book of John, the Gospel of John, um, last week. And our first message was at look at John 20, and that John wrote his purpose for writing the gospel was to present signs that the reader might believe and have eternal life. And now John picked out certain signs to present. And, and the idea is this, that each of us must decide what to do with Jesus. That there are signs that point to Jesus being the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. There is evidence in Scripture. There is evidence historically, but mostly we're looking at Scripture um, here. And if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and we make not just an affirmation... Um, a head knowledge belief, but we decide to believe in, to place our trust in Jesus Christ, then we can have eternal life. And what a blessing it is to know that eternal life is that readily available to all of us. And that is the purpose of John's writing of this gospel. And so I was tempted then to start our our verse-by-verse exposition uh, today, but as I considered how to best maybe understand the book, Uh, I realized there was maybe something else to learn by looking at John the man. Who John is and the transformation, not just what he talks about, but the transformation of John's life himself. Because John, in the end of his life, was nothing like he was at the beginning of his life. And I want to look at the transformation in his own life. So look at Luke 9 as we stand and uh, we stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Uh, it's not just out of tradition. There's scriptural evidence uh, to stand when you read scripture, although it's not required. Um, we just want to make a statement about how much we respect God's word. And so Luke chapter 9, verse 46, toward the end of the chapter, is where we will begin reading. It says, Luke 9, verse 46, it says, Then there arose. A reasoning among them. This is the disciples of Jesus Christ. Which of them should be greatest? That does not sound like the kind of argument disciples of Jesus should be having. But they were having an argument. They were talking. No, not an argument. Okay, right? Husbands and wives. No, it's a discussion. Heated, but a discussion about who's the greatest. And Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart because he can do that, (laughs) took a child and set him by him and said unto them, whosoever shall receive this child of my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me, for he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. So can you tell that John still has the idea about how he can be the greatest? So here they're having an argument about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus says, the one who serves even the littlest child, that's the one that's great in my kingdom. And John's like, well, I told a guy that wasn't following you, he needs to stop serving you because he's not with us. I think he thought this would earn him some points with Jesus And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So they're going from where they were to up to Jerusalem. They've got to go through Samaria to do that. And they did not, verse 53, they did not receive him. Because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So the Samaritans had nothing to do with Jesus. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did. Once again, John is trying to impress Jesus with his fervent spirit but he turned Jesus did and rebuked them and said "Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of for the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives but to save them and they went to another village now I want you to turn over to 1st John chapter 4 and I just want to read one verse out of 1st John chapter 4 so that's that's John at the beginning of his life. I mean, at the beginning of his discipleship. That's him um, at early on in his discipleship experience. But look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. So here's John. Okay, get the picture. I'm going to call fire down from heaven, and I'm going I'm to take them out for you in the name of Jesus. But look what he says in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Okay, over here. Thunder. Right? Jesus called James and John, what did he call them? The sons of what? Thunder. End of his life, he's writing a letter to the believers. It says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Okay, I don't know if you see the stark contrast. It's humorous even in some ways from thunder to love. John went from thunder to love. And today I just want to look and think about that transition and realize that he went from one extreme to another. And I want to consider how that happens because here's why. Because my prayer is that you, no matter what you are right now, That you realize the power of Christ can transform you into something you think you could never be. If he can take John from thunder to love, he can take you from addicted to free. If he can take John from thunder to love, he can take you from lost to saved. There's no place that Jesus can't take you if you are willing to submit to the process of transformation. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I convey this to really consider what it is that you did for John and what you can do for us. We pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've been uh, on Sunday mornings at 9.45 teaching a class that we're calling Eastside 101. Some of you have been in that class. And, and uh, it, last week, I, in preparation for the class, I, I did some research on the history of Eastside Baptist Church. And, and I, I didn't really know a lot about the history of Eastside um, and was kind of just picking up bits and pieces. And some of it's hard to know at the beginning. Um, but in, in some of my research, though, I found out... That Eastside started when a man named Katie Dobson, who was the pastor of a Baptist church over in Mitchell at the time, uh, felt led of the Lord to come to Sioux Falls and start a church uh, here on the East Side. And so uh, he, left it, he left Mitchell, brought his family over here to Sioux Falls, try to figure out you know, who, to, uh, who, you know, who to contact, what to do, who to start with. And he came in contact with some families from First Baptist Church of Laverne, Minnesota, who had a hand at the beginning um, uh, with the start of this church. They got together, they started meeting. And uh, in November of 1961, Eastside Baptist Church began. A chartered and um, actually I should say that Hilltop Heights Baptist Church began in November of 1961. So uh, it began as Hilltop Heights Baptist Church. And then they bought some property on the east side... And apparently it wasn't on a hilltop, so they changed the name from Hilltop Heights Baptist Church to Eastside Baptist Church. They then brought, bought another piece of property on Sycamore and then bought a, a, a chunk of property where nothing else was here on the southeast part of town and built this building. And here we are today. Uh, and so I was thinking about this building and, and many of you that are in the room, you went through that process Uh, which was 2000, uh, you know, I don't know when, uh, originally bought the building or bought the property, um, 2007 and 8, 9, 10. Those were the years where a lot of that was going on. 2010, I believe, is when the church moved into this property. I wasn't here um, at the time. But but those of you who went through that process, those of you who went through all of that, um, you remember the process. You remember if we can just be transparent, you remember the attacks that the devil uh, sent Eastside Baptist Church's way through that time. You remember how hard it was. You remember the difficulties. You remember the turmoil. But you also remember the, the first Sunday in the building. And you remember what it was like to go from a building too small to a building, in some ways, a building too big, but a building that accommodates growth now and in a beautiful place, out on this new property. And, and, and just, you remember all of that. But I was thinking about how many went through that and how many in our church were here at the time. And, and, and I was thinking about your perspective on this building and how it's completely different than the average person that drives by our building on a daily basis. You know, we have thousands of cars drive by ...on Highway 11 every day. And and I've read that when they complete Highway 11... ...all the way down to I-29... ...there south, near T... ...55,000 cars a day... ...are going to be driving... ...past Eastside Baptist Church on that highway. 55,000. But I was thinking of all of those cars... ...that drive by... ...probably most of them... ...when they drive by this building... ...they think, oh, nice building. You say, oh, that's a nice spot... That's a nice building. Oh, great! And then they move on. Then they get to the uh, stoplight and they like, say another stoplight. And that's they're not thinking about the church anymore. <laughs> See, there's a difference in perspective. There are some who almost view Eastside as it. Oh, it just popped up there. But there are those that went through all of that. And you know Eastside didn't just pop up here. The building is not just here by accident. You were there. You went through it. You know how hard it was. You know how much sacrifice it took. You know what kind of prayer and what kind of faith and what kind of uh, difficulty it took to get into this building. Your perspective is completely different. And see, uh, I want to just mention that because in a lot of ways that's, that's how life is. We can do that with people too. And that we see a person, and many of you, maybe even this morning you come in and you see suits and skirts. And you think you know everything there is to know about Eastside. I'm not saying everybody's in a skirt or everybody's in a suit. I'm just saying, I'm trying to just kind of summarize what some people view church as. And they go, oh, well, they're, they're, they don't have any way to relate to me because they're already the finished product. And you walk in and you say, well, they just popped up. They're just there. Uh, you know, they're just who they are. They've always been that way. And what we don't do very often, it was, we don't recognize the journey that it took for a person to get where they are. And you don't recognize that they weren't always who they look like right now. I mean, this, this property was just grass, cornfield, I should say. It was just fields. It was open fields. Somebody that drives by it, not knowing the story thinks, oh, Eastside just popped up there. They don't know the story. But the same thing is true in people's lives. We look at somebody that looks like a finished product and we forget they started somewhere. And, and those of you who maybe you're coming in this morning and you don't have a lot of church experience and you're not, you're not polished and, and your edges are still pretty rough, you think, well, they can't relate to me. I think you'd be surprised how many people in this room that looked the part right now were exactly where you were, were at some point in their life. We do that with people. We think, well, you know, this person just is who they are. They've always been that way. And we forget that, no, something happened in their life to get them to this point. See, we could do that with John. See, we know John. Most of us, when we think about John, we think about love. Uh, The book of John, he refers to himself multiple times. It's interesting, John never uses his own name in the book of John. He he talks about John the Baptist. That's not John the the apostle. He says the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved in John 19 and John 13 and John 21. He uses that phrase. And and so so John and Jesus had a very special connection. Uh, John and Jesus had such a special relationship. A strong connection that on the cross... Jesus Christ is hanging and dying. And he looks at John and he says, Behold thy mother. As if to say, John, my mother, Mary. By the way, Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, stood there and watched her son take his last breath. Crucified, tortured. She was standing there, but so was John. And Jesus said, John, behold thy mother, and woman, mom, behold your son. He's going to take care of you. Now, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? That's a major ask to say, I'm, I'm going to die, and John, though, I want you to take care of my mother Mary. They had this such a close relationship, and I believe probably closer than any other di- of the other disciples. Jesus and John, you might say it in today's vernacular, Jesus and John were, were best friends, John had, had an inside look into the, mirror, the person of Jesus. He saw the most amazing miracles. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was crucified. I'm sorry, glorified. Uh, he wrote the book of Revelation, which the Holy Spirit revealed things to him in prophetic mysteries that, that nobody else had the privilege of getting to see. We know John, though, before the word love, that Jesus loved him dearly. John lived into his 90s and a primary theme of his writings is love. He gave us John 3:16 for God so loved the world. He wrote beloved, let us love one another. We already read it. In 1 John 4:19 he penned, we love him because he first loved us. And he said in John 13, he wrote, by this these are the words of Christ. It's our church theme. He said by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love. One to another. John. If we're looking at where John ended up. He ended up over here. And his banner says love. Love. That's John. But that's kind of like driving by Eastside Baptist Church. And assuming it's always been there. Because it's not taking into account. Where he started. Because John. Ended up over here as love. But he started out over here known for judgment thunder i I actually kind of like the phrase when jesus said the sons of thunder you know i mean it probably wasn't completely a compliment but you know part of you as a man you're like yes son of thunder that sounds more fun than the beloved in our text this morning john doesn't really present a picture of love and in fact, I want you to look at some of his traits. Look at some of the things that John was known for um, at the beginning of his discipleship journey. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. So John, if we're looking at this from the beginning, John wasn't known for love at the beginning. John was, was, was known for being selfishly ambitious. You say, "Well, I can't believe that you'd say that about John." Well, it's right here in our text. I know this text is describing the apostles in general, but this attitude about greatness was primarily coming from James and his from John and his brother James. Uh, keep your place here in Luke nine and look over at Mark chapter ten. So back to the left, Mark chapter ten. I want to read a few verses out of this, and this this gives the same. Uh, um, the same idea here the same kind of account in Mark chapter 10 look what it says in verse 35 so you say okay well Jesus was saying that ye all they were all having this conversation about who's the greatest and so for you to single out John as being selfishly ambitious it's not really fair but look at Mark chapter 10 verse 35 it says and James and John the sons of Zebedee Come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. So they come to Jesus kind of like little kids. Is your kids, your kids ever come and they like butter you up a little bit before they ask for something? Our kids are good at this. Jace is good at this because, you know, he knows Mama will just do whatever for him. He's said, Mama, I love you. Can I have 30 minutes on the Xbox? Those two go hand in hand, by the way. Chase, can you relate? Yeah? I don't know. He's Maybe not. <laughs> he was smiling like he understood. Maybe he just knows Chase. So, you know, they come and they say, Master, you sure are a good master. Um, we're going to a- ask you something. Would you be willing to say yes to whatever we ask you? By the way, if you're a parent and you say yes before they ask, you are a rookie. Okay? That's a big mistake. <laughs> don't do that. They come and they say, Master, we have something to ask thee. Will you do for us whatsoever we, we desire? And Jesus plays along. He says in verse 36, he said unto them, well, what would ye that I should do for you? There, there's some wisdom right there. And saying, well, what do you want? What are you looking for? And he already knew what they were looking for. Verse 37, he said, they said, they said unto him, grant unto us that, oh, it's nothing big, <laughs> nothing real big. Just grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left hand in thy glory. Nothing real big, Lord. Just when we, you know, in your kingdom, when it's, you know, it's kingdom time and, and you're reigning, and would you let me, John's like, would you let one of us, me, sit on the right hand and let James sit on the other hand, on the, on the other side of you and give us, you know, a real, just the good places, just the chief positions. ...in the kingdom, that, that's all. And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Basically, that's how he answers. He, he basically says, you can follow me as a disciple... ...but that's not yours to take, basically. So in Matthew 20, turn over over back to Luke 9... ...but in Matthew 20, it says that James and John... ...even got their mama involved... ...in asking Jesus if, there's, if her sons... ...could have these positions of honor... These positions in the kingdom. See, what they were thinking was, well, there's a kingdom coming, and the only kingdoms they really knew about were the Roman government, and in the Roman government, these really powerful people sat on their thrones, and they, they, they meted out these, these uh, verdicts, and they made these big statements, and they ruled with an iron fist, and they were in positions of authority. They weren't concerned about serving other people. They were only concerned about their self-interest. So what John and James are asking for is extremely selfish. They're not asking in such a way that says, God, we want to, Jesus, we want to serve you. We want to serve with you. No, they're asking, they're saying, we want to reign with you. Okay, John, who we know as love, he started out as thunder. Selfish, ambitious, Look at Luke 9, verse 49. Uh, John, John was also intolerant. So he started out selfishly ambitious. He also started out as intolerant. Look at verse 49. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. There were other people that were doing work in Christ's name. And, and they, were, they were actually, according to Jesus, they were doing Good work in Christ's name, uh, but they weren't among the 12. And John saw this, and he took matters into his own hands. And he's like, "Um, Father, I told him to stop it. I said, you don't need to be doing that. See, apparently John thought that no one besides the chosen 12 are privileged enough to have that power to cast out devils. And his jealousy shows up. And he thought his position of prominence was being challenged. He's like, no, we're with Jesus. You're not. You can't serve God. You can't do those things because you're not with Jesus. But the man that John was referring to must have at some point been endowed with the power from Jesus Christ to do that. I mean, we don't know much about the story. But he was casting out devils. I mean, he was doing something in the name of Jesus Christ. So all we can assume is that at some point, Jesus granted that power to him. I mean, I don't know the whole story. But what Jesus says basically backs that up when he says, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Clearly the man that was working was not working against Jesus. And so John, here he is, he's threatened and, and he's, he feels like it's, him, it's his up to him to take matters into his own hands. And Jesus says not everybody is exactly like we are, but it not, doesn't mean they're not doing some good. And by the way... I'm thankful, and I was saying this in the East Side, I'm thankful we're East Side 101. We're independent Baptists. And I'm thankful that we're Baptists. I'm thankful that we follow God's word. But it doesn't mean we're the only ones out here doing anything good for God. God. We ought to follow God's word and we're thankful to be Baptists and we're thankful for who we are. But if someone else is doing something in the name of Christ and they're preaching the gospel and they're doing it for the Lord, they may not look just like us and it doesn't mean we have to sign off in everything they're doing. But it also doesn't mean that they need our attention and time to preach against what they're doing and, and be against them because God's, Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. And I'm going to let God be the determining factor. I'm going to let him take care of those folks. Just like I'm going, to, I'm going to answer to him for what we do here at Eastside. They answer to God for what they're doing. And in my opinion, there's too much at stake. And there's too much work to do for us to be focused on somebody that doesn't look just like us. So let them do what they're doing. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. But here's John. He's intolerant of other people and what they're doing. And, and, and it, it's costing him. Wait, no, he's, the, he's, the, he's John the beloved. He's the disciple known for love. Well, it wasn't always that way. John also had a quick temper. Look at verse 51. It says, it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And, when they, and they did not receive him. Because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias or Elijah did? Jesus is going up to Jerusalem and the Samaritans are like, we don't want him around here. They wouldn't provide a place for him to stay. They wouldn't receive him. And James and John, here's John again. Lord, if you want, yeah, you know, we, we, we could call fire down from heaven. I mean, pretty simply, easily, just like Elijah. I mean, they couldn't even at times cast out. They couldn't even do what they were supposed to do in the small things. How are they expecting to do with this, something this big? Jesus looks at him, Adam in verse 55. He says, ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. The son of man came not to destroy man's lives, but to save them. And so here, here's John, and he's like, we'll call fire down from heaven. We're going to burn them to a crisp. Fried Samaritan. I don't know where that came from. It's not in my notes. But I'm also not sure if the Lord... Told me to say that. So, you know, he says, You don't have a clue what kind of spirit you have right now. You don't have a clue because your spirit that you have right now is nothing like the spirit that I have. John had a hair trigger temper, it was ready to explode at any moment. He was going to show the Samaritans who's boss. And it's wild to think that it wasn't long ago that Jesus in Matthew 5 was saying, Love your enemies. Bless them that bless them that bless you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. He said, the ones that persecute you, pray for them. And that was in Matthew 5, and here they are. Let us burn them to a crisp. John had to learn that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ meant a different spirit. And by the end of his life, I think he clearly had it. But up to this point, here's John. And John is thunder. But Jesus wants John to get to love. Because he said, he that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Listen, if you're, if you're like me, it's kind of hard to connect the dots between thunder and love. These two contrasts, they seem so opposite as a young man, John was thunder, he was selfish, he was intolerant, he had a temper, he was ready to take out anybody who didn't agree with him, he was ready to take down anybody who didn't treat the Lord right, he was jockeying for position in the kingdom, and it's kind of like driving, I don't know if you've noticed this, man, but people drive so angry, it's like the, the anger is just under the surface, and all it takes is one thing, and people lose their minds on the roads. I mean, it's kind of, that's John. John would have been the guy that if you don't do like what he wants, he's cutting you off and break checking you. I mean, that'd be weird, would it? The Apostle John break checks you? But he's that guy. It, that's who he is. He's intolerant and he's judgmental and he's selfish and he has a quick temper. And, you know, and if that describes you, uh, if that describes it, man, you're all thunder. The people around you expect that. But, but what if one day you come in and you're the most patient, deferring driver out there? One day you come in and, and you're with somebody and, and you're patient and loving and accepting and you're gentle. People would be thinking, man, something's wrong with Dad. Dad. Like, this is not like what he's been before. But listen, but at the end of his life, John went from judgment and thunder to talking about love, and he's emphasizing patience, and he's promoting selfless acts. And, I mean, what happened? What changed? Well, first, it's good for us to recognize that years passed, meaning that when John was thunder... And John was, was judgment, and John was intolerant, and John was impatient. He was a young man. We're told he was likely the youngest of all the apostles. He's a young man, and he's doing what he does out of zeal and out of passion for God. But by the end of his life, when he's writing these, these letters, and he's writing his book, and his gospel, he's emphasizing love. Well, first understand that it's, change is never a light switch. And sometimes we think, right now I'm thunder and I'm angry. And I'm full of lust and I'm full of all these things that I know I don't need to be, um, to be full of. But I want a light switch so I can be over here and be what I'm supposed to be. That's not how it works. It's a transformation that takes place. A transformative process. And, and, and so don't expect a light switch. But also don't assume that Jesus doesn't have the power to help you get from there to there. Because he does. But, and whether it's five years or 50 years, it's clear that John in the early part of the Gospels is not the same as John writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Something changed. So what helped him cross from thunder to love? Well, we're not told the moment that it happened, but do you remember what John was known for when he was on earth? Remember? He was known for the disciple, as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I really believe that John prioritized his closeness to Jesus Christ. His love for his Lord. I believe John went, to thunder, went from thunder to love because he lived his life to be as close to Jesus as he could. The same way that he was in G, during Jesus' life. He was after Jesus' death. Meaning that John prioritized his relationship with Jesus Christ. And not only that, there's one really major event that took place between thunder and love. Anybody know what it is? The cross. See, before the cross, John was all judgment. Before the cross, John was all impatience. Before the cross, John was intolerant. But at the cross, when Jesus looked at him and said, behold thy mother... And he watched Jesus, his best friend in the world, die for the sins of mankind. Something changed him. And folks, listen, there are some in here, and your life right now is thunder. It's a mess. It is it is absolute chaos. And you, you, I mean, you've got a temper. I mean, at the drop of a hat, you're losing your cool. You're impatient with people. You're intolerant of people. And it, maybe it's not anger, but maybe it's lust. Men in the room, and, and lust just has a it has a stronghold in the hearts of many men. And it's so easy to find, and it's everywhere. And right now, that's your thunder. Or, or maybe it's complacency, and you, you're you over here, and a, as a child of God, you know you should be passionate about the things of God, and you should, you should love God, and you should love His church, and you should love people. But right now, you just don't really care. Your thunder is you just don't have a heart for God anymore. And, and they're, they're, we all have our different thunders. We all have the things that beset us. We all have the areas that trip us up. And maybe it's anger or bitterness. And that something's happened to you. And and you're holding on to an offense. And you refuse to forgive. And that thunder controls your life. Well, I'm telling you, there's one way to go from thunder to what God wants you to be. But the event that's going to change all of it is the cross of Jesus Christ. Meaning until you come face to face with Jesus Christ on the cross, all you'll ever be is thunder. But if at the foot of Jesus' cross, he looks at you with love and compassion and he says, I'm doing this for you. I'm dying on this cross for your sins. The sins of thunder that own you right now. I am dying right now for your sins. Because if you were to die in your sins you're going to spend eternity separated from me in a place called hell and you couldn't pay for your own sins so I'm dying on the cross for your sins. I'm taking your sins in my body on this tree and I'm going to be buried but then I'm going to rise again and prove that I have victory over sin and victory over death and if you will just meet me right here at the cross I can transform your life From thunder to love. Or I can transform your life from lust to freedom. I can transform your life from bad husband, absent father, to good husband and present father. I can transform your life from bitter and unforgiving. But when you see the cross and you realize that Jesus the son of God forgave us of all of our sins. Which are far worse than what anybody has ever done to you. He forgave. When you realize what he did on the cross he can take you from bitter to forgiving. Listen there's, it, we're all in a different place. We all have our thunder. We all have this over here that keeps us from where we ought to be but the one place that you need to meet Jesus Christ is at the foot of the cross. And recognize there's no sin he can't help you overcome. There's There's no sin he can't break you free from. And he wants to take you from thunder to love or whatever he wants you to be, but you're going to have to meet him at the cross in salvation. And some of you this morning, your sins are bound I mean, they're, 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 they're tying you up and you have no hope of getting free from them. Well, you do through Jesus on the cross. Yeah, yeah. But there's also Christians in here and sin has you bound as well. Well, it's still the cross. That's where you find forgiveness. That's where you find victory. In fact, he's already given you victory. You simply just have to accept it. There's nobody in this room that's whose thunder is too loud for Jesus Christ to transform your life. And maybe whatever your sin is, whatever your present condition is, the problem is sometimes we're like, well, I'm over here. I can't get over there. Well, there's a bridge. It's long enough. The cross of Jesus Christ has never been confronted with a situation of sin in someone's life that it could not bridge the gap to God. Amen. And maybe this morning, I mean, John, we have reason to believe he was a saved man, but he just couldn't have victory. And as a saved person who's come this morning, you're full of thunder. The cross is where it starts, but remember what John was known for the disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning John prioritized closeness with his Savior. And right now you're thinking, I don't even know where to start. Here's how you start. You start by prioritizing your relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. I mean, some of, us, some of you are young, like John was, and you've got zeal, but you've made lots of mistakes. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you're coming from. He can take you from thunder to love. Some of you are young in Christ and you just got saved and you're trying to figure this all out. And you think, how am I going to bridge the gap from here to there? You don't have to do it all in one shot. If you will simply prioritize your closeness with Jesus Christ on a daily basis, walk with God, lean on him, be as close to him as you possibly can. Get up and read your Bible and pray and spend time with God's people in God's church and, and, and grow in truth. If you will love God and you'll love the brethren and you'll love truth, I'm telling you, those three things will help you walk close to Jesus Christ. And before you realize it, he's transformed you and you didn't do anything except submit to the process. He does not ask you to leap the Grand Canyon. He simply asks you to take a step and then he builds the bridge as you go. Now, it's a life of faith and it's scary. But if you'll say, okay, Lord, I can't get from there to over there without your help, but I will wake up tomorrow and I'll read my Bible. Oh, God, I can't get from there to there in one step, but I will, it's Wednesday night. Boy, Wednesday nights are hard. But but I'm part of a church, and my expect your expectation of me is that when the doors are open, I'm not going to forsake the assembling of myself with my church family. So it's hard, Lord, but it's Wednesday. Here we go. Oh, okay, He provided. And, and yeah, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. My finances are a mess. I'm not really sure what to do. And tomorrow's Sunday and you tell us we're supposed to give by faith and we're just supposed to obey. And I don't even see how this math adds up. But I'm just going to put you first and seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and see if he really does uh, add all these things to us and provide. And so I'm going to give. Oh, 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 he did provide. You know, if you listen, you don't have to jump the Grand Canyon. All he asks is that you submit to his process. And on a daily basis, you say, I want to be as close to Jesus Christ as possible. And I'm going to prioritize my relationship with Jesus no matter what. And as you do that, I'm telling you, and I'm not making promises, this is not health and wealth gospel. But I am giving you God's word that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. So your priority is, If you've already met Jesus at the cross, you've been saved, and you're not where you need to be, then right now your priority is I want to be as close to Jesus as possible. Whatever it takes to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what I'm gonna do. And if you will simply submit yourself to the process, one day you're gonna wake up and realize wait, I'm not I'm not funder anymore. Actually, things are different now. And maybe the people around you notice. You're not thunder anymore. Now, I'm not saying you never, like, are thunderous (laughs) again. But for the most part, the pattern of your life has changed from thunder to love. By submitting to the process. Starts with meeting Jesus Christ at the cross. If you're not saved this morning, you'll never experience Thunder to love the process until you get saved. Today's the day. But for those that are saved and you want to get from thunder to love, it starts here. I'm going to be as close to Jesus as possible. Amen. Every single day, I'm going to lean on him. I'm going to love him. I'm going to love God first. I'm going to love the brethren because he tells us to. And for, Read First John. Love one another all through it. And... I'm going to love truth, meaning I'm going to put myself in a position to hear truth as much as humanly possible because truth, the Bible says, John wrote this too, by the way, the words of Jesus Christ, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So truth, submitting yourself to truth is key to going from thunder to love. And you might think I'm too far away. Well, yeah, it can feel like it takes a lifetime. But if you don't start today, imagine how much longer it's gonna take. Christ does the work. You simply submit to the process. Here's what I want you to do, okay? Honest self-evaluation right now. If I was to sum up my greatest weakness, uh, my greatest shortcoming, my most besetting sin. In your mind, think about it. We all have one. Now, imagine yourself having victory over that and what your life looks like if now you're the opposite. Okay? Now, I'm not saying imagine yourself. And if you're in your own brain, if you believe, you can become. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if, if you should be over here and you can imagine yourself being over here, do you realize that Jesus Christ, that's not beyond his reach? So all the things, all the labels that you carry right now are not permanent. He wants to take you from thunder to love and all it takes is to meet him at the cross and then submit to the process of walking as closely to Jesus Christ on a daily basis as is humanly possible. Listen, we we talked about the building at the beginning. We're talking about, look around, you see a lot of people. A lot of people that look the part this morning. But anybody this morning that's not a Pharisee would look at you and say, this had nothing to do with me. No, the reason I'm where I am today is because I humbled myself at the cross and then I submitted to the process and I put myself in position to be as close to Jesus as possible. How? Well, I loved God first, put him first. I loved the brethren. I surrounded myself with people that love God and will help me. By the way, you're not supposed to do this on your own. You need a body of believers to help you in the process. But third, then I submitted myself to truth. Truth as much as possible. And I knew that truth is what's going to change me. Say so it has nothing to do with self-motivation. It has nothing to do with my own strength and effort. No, I simply met Jesus at the cross, then submitted to his process by walking with Jesus as much as I could. And look at me now. <laughs> it has nothing to do with self-help. It has nothing to do with a will to change ourselves. It is meeting Jesus at the cross and submitting to his process of growth. And if you'd be willing to do that today. God can take you from thunder. To love. If he can do it for John. And he can do it for you. And he can do it for me. then he can do it for anybody. And he wants to. Amen. Let's stand together. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. What's your thunder this morning? What do you need to get right with the Lord? What do you need to get away from? What do you want to see changed? He can change it, but you're gonna have to submit to the cross and submit to Jesus Christ in a relationship on a daily basis. It's time. Let's not be content to stay on the thunder side. Let's let God do the work and take us to the love side. Whatever your thunder is, whatever your love is. Listen, for some, your thunder is you know that you're lost. You know you're not saved. Listen, meet Jesus at the cross. He can forgive you of your sins and start you on a path to victory. If you want to be saved this morning, I'm telling you, this is the day to do it. There's no reason to wait. If you, if you were to die today and you don't know that you'd spend eternity in heaven, would you be willing to step out and come pray? We've got men, we've got ladies that could pray with you and show you from God's word. Now for the rest, for the Christians in here, for, the, for God's people, you have thunder in your life that you need help getting victory over? If you do, there's one way to do it. Submit to the process. Walk as closely to Jesus Christ as possible. Love God. Love the brethren. Love truth. And watch him transform your life. Father, we need you. We pray for your help during this invitation time. pray that you give us courage to step out as you're leading us to in Jesus' name. Amen.